on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. your tolerance but lecture me is there no end to your own hypocrisy your god is power you have no shame your only interest is political gain you hide your eyes and refuse to listen you play your game. coming up next america can we talk with your host debbie georgiatos And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I was going to say, welcome back to me. Uh, we've actually missed three shows because of travel. Um, and I will spend over the next several weeks telling you, our listeners, more about this trip that my husband and I took uh, in a very short summary because it's relevant to everything happening in America today. It's a very short summary. My husband and I had a wonderful trip following The Band of Brothers, uh, which is a book by Stephen Ambrose and an HBO series, essentially following the story of some American soldiers during World War II, starting out in London. They, it was called the Easy Company. Their group was they parachuted in behind uh, the enemy lines in Normandy. They had extraordinary experiences there. They kept together all the way through uh, to ending up in Germany and in the Bavarian Alps where they found Hitler's house. And this is a long welcome uh, to the show, except to say that we missed, I missed the show last three times. I'm so glad to be back in studio. So glad to have my friends here uh, in the audience. I love when the audience comes. We have a great guest joining us today. But I will, I'm um, kind of planting a seed with you that I want to talk about things we observed. We went to a Dachau concentration camp. We learned a lot about the, we had a historian leading this tour, so it wasn't just us trying to absorb things. We learned a lot about the way cultures are changed and manipulated, kind of often in many cases, people not realizing what's happening to them, not realizing why their views are changing. And really what happened to Germany in the early 1930s, into the 1940s, I want to keep talking about that and do some contrasts and comparisons with what's happening in America today. But that was an extraordinary trip. It's where we've been for two weeks. Um, and honestly, it was a trip of a lifetime um, and learned very much about the, the immense bravery of these soldiers who uh, went through all that. Uh, the other quick announcement, I'm, this isn't my real announcement, but it's just going to tease you by telling you, I've decided to run for RNC National Committee, for the National Committee Woman from Texas which is a huge thing to take on. And I'm um, just planting that seed now. We're doing a big formal announcement on the show on Tuesday, September 5th. But it is a, um, it's a big thing and it's about really, you know, I don't do anything to get more committee meetings on my calendar or more irrelevant debates, but I do love the, uh, being in the fight to save America. So I wanna plant those seeds, those two things coming up and now turn and introduce you to our just extraordinary guest today. Um, he actually is a, relatively new friend, Dr. Pete Chambers, and he is a good friend of our friends and just someone who's, I realize if I read the whole resume, then the show would be over and then we'd have to go on our way. So I would just tease you with some kind of highlights of his life. He's changed hats, so to speak, many times in life. Uh, he's a decorated military veteran. Uh, he was in the Green Beret. Uh, he served very nobly. We'll hear a little bit about that. He left the military, became a medical doctor, 
so he now is, that's why he's Dr. Pete Chambers, along with being retired Lieutenant Colonel uh, Pete Chambers. Um, he also, um, so then he went back in the military using his medical experience, uh, helping our soldiers. So he's had that kind of experience. He also has been a whistleblower for the Department of Defense, and this relates to the content and, uh, I believe, danger of the COVID vaccines and what, whether or not soldiers and others being required to take those vaccines were being asked to do something that wasn't right to ask them because we really didn't know the contents or the danger. So he was a brave whistleblower on that topic. We'll hear about that a little bit. Um, and then finally, he's turned his life in great part toward the ministry. And, and he's a Save America guy. So you got to know I love that. He's a Save America guy. He's a patriot. He's a military hero. He's a doctor. He's a whistleblower. And let's all please welcome to the show, Dr. Pete Chambers. Thank you, Debbie. Well, you're so welcome. You know, I actually, I, I'm serious about the idea of, and not that you, because you're wearing a hat, but mm -hmm. you've worn so many hats in, in, in your life. It just, these are, yes. these are big changes you made in your life. So I just want to start out with, yeah. briefly, tell us about your, you, you entered the Army, and then, and I want to hear your Army life, and then a little bit about what it means yeah. to be a Green Beret. Absolutely. In 1983, my dad was a patriot. He knew that Son, you're going to go get back to this country, what we have. My dad was from Greece originally. Mm. And so when he came to America, post-Civil uh, War and then uh, World War, he knew what it was like downrange, so to speak, in the yeah. middle of it as a teenager. And then I went in 83. Ronald Reagan was president. I served. I finished my time as an infantry guy. I was a paratrooper, uh, eventually a Green Beret. And to do the Green Berets is hard. But in, in a sense, um, it's don't quit, very simple. Uh, put mission first, the men second, and then yourself last. That was something I was taught a long time ago, and it went to this very last mission. Mission, men, self. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Green Beret, that means it's still within the um, Army, but I Army. read something, I think, on your website. And by the way, I, I believe it's been up on your Chiron, but your website, uh, you have drpetechambers.com? Yes. Okay. I, I think, honestly, I want to encourage our listeners to go read your website because even just absorbing what you have there, it, it tells about an ama the amazing life you've led. So yes. the Green Beret in part, I think I was reading, it is more than just becoming a, 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 you know, a very, very tough and well-conditioned soldier. It has a mission. We start with that. That's the baseline, tough and well-conditioned soldier. And then you have to be culturally savvy. You have to be able to learn foreign languages. I spoke Greek as a kid. It came easy. But I had to learn Farsi and Dari and a few other smatterings of Arabic and, wow. and, and other languages in the areas that I operated in. But I learned Farsi pretty well, Persian, um, in the area of Afghanistan. That's what we were operating in. But uh, it's to understand that the center of gravity of anything is people. It's not hardware. It's not battle space. It's not the hill. You know, there are different units that do different things. Direct action, meaning go attack the hill, take the hill. Green Berets is unconventional warfare. It's or foreign internal defense, depending on what side of the battle you're on. Developing a country to protect itself. Or if there's a bad actor state, to help those people of that state to develop their own army that they should be able to defend themselves, i.e. the Taliban. We went in, took over Afghanistan pretty quick with 12 Green Beret teams, and then uh, they turned it into a long affair, which we didn't agree with, but that's a whole other story. 
so in your service as Green Beret, you were communicating regularly in Farsi with people in Afghanistan? Correct. In Afghanistan, they call it Dari, which is the Afghan version. It's like uh, Alabama English versus London <laughs> English. <laughs> right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that we, everyone understands that. Really, everyone listening goes, oh, I know what he means. Yeah. Okay. So that had to be an amazing thing in your life. I mean, the amazing experience. just Best career I ever had. Best job I ever had. Yeah. So then you left the military at some point to go to medical school. Or what's I actually the had done medical school after I was enlisted. And it's, you know, not clear. But I finished medical school and then went to residency after my enlisted time. And then 9-11 happened. And I was going to go off and do some other, okay. you know, I had already served my time in the military, uh, but 9-11 happened, and I knew it would be best suited to go be a doctor for Green Berets. It's, that's uh, my people. And so I was sent straight to Iraq the first time, Afghanistan, uh, several deployments downrange. So your military service, finished it up, honorably left, mm -hmm. did your medical training, and yes. became a doctor. Came back in. And then you were, could have gone off and just, I mean, you'd done about a bit of, quite a bit of time. Mm -hmm. You'd done... How 39 many? years total. 39 years. And you could have gone to something else, but you went back in. I was thinking about, you know, going and making some money and then enjoying yeah. it. My dad was a family doc, and uh, it just didn't work out. But, it, you know, what, what, what's, the, what's the pay, you know, when you're taking care of people? And, they, and you, you send them home, and you get a Christmas card from somebody that says, hey, thanks for sending my dad home. Yeah. That's yeah. worth millions. So you were... Taking care of soldiers, it, after you were a doctor and you're back in the military mm -hmm. and, and as a doctor, you were taking care of soldiers who've been injured in battle? Was that yes. What it was? So my job there was uh, forward, leading edge of battle kind of medicine. First guys, sometimes, to get our hands on the patients. Sometimes it's back in the rear. Just depend. Uh, we have medics. They do a great job. But sometimes I'm able to, to go in and help uh, transport them or do something a little different. Uh, especially in special forces, because we're so far out there. We, we might be in the middle of Africa. Uh, mountains of Afghanistan. You, you can't set up hospitals everywhere. Okay, you know, I'm going back to, in my mind, there was a dinner uh, at a, our mutual friend's home mm -hmm. some time ago. Maybe I don't remember this correctly. You visited almost every country in the world, is that right? Not every country, every continent. but Every continent, okay. Right, <laughs> and 50-something uh, countries overall from 1983 on. Much uh, higher than the national average, I'm sure. Over 50, so. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, some of those are great places to visit, and some of those not so much. Uh, but every country has an army that uh, either wants help to uh, bolster it or there are bad guys in that country that need uh, servicing, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. yeah. So you finish your Green Bay service, you serve in the military uh, mm -hmm. using your uh, medical background. Yes, ma'am. So why'd you leave the next time, the military? Why'd you get up next time? I left uh, in 2015. I had left the active duty, um, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and a special forces unit there. And then I went, and Fort Bragg is renamed now. I don't know the new name. We've gotten uh, woke, so they've changed the name. But uh, went to the Texas National Guard in 2015. And that's when uh, I came in as a Green Beret because they needed me to do that job. They didn't bring me as a doctor. Uh, and so I came back to Texas as a Green Beret and took that, a career down there in uh, uh, San Antonio. Okay, so you came back and you were saying as the Texas National Guard, and you were just bringing your military background. Right. And what were you supposed so I was given to be a, doing? I was given a Green Bay company to work at, essentially, uh, down in San Antonio. We have several reserve guard type units like that, and that, and one of them is in Texas. Texas is big, twelfth largest army in the world. You're kidding, Texas, the state of Texas here. If you were to look at the years? National Guard and the Air Guard in Texas, 
roughly around the 12th largest army in the world. That's truly amazing. I, I like that. I love being when we live in Texas. Mm -hmm. we, that's right. We stand up for ourselves. Okay, so you had an experience. I want to get around to this first mm -hmm. experience that led you into recognizing or thinking about the issues related to COVID and COVID vaccines. Um, and yeah, I know yeah. it's a big story. So I just want okay. you to, I mean, I'd love to have you just tell the story of how you came to question the policies of the military in requiring COVID vaccines. So in a way, I'm kind of like Forrest Gump. I end up at places that I never thought I would end up. <laughs> When, they, when I came back from an Africa mission uh, with that specific unit that I was in Texas, um, they had given me some extra rank, Lieutenant Colonel at that point. And they said, we don't have any more jobs for Lieutenant Colonel Greenberries, could, but you could go back to being a doctor again. It's like, absolutely. I still maintain my license. And uh, COVID came along. I'd just come back from Africa. Didn't hear, didn't know so anything. So you just got back from? From uh, the Sub-Saharan Africa. Okay, I was gonna ask you where, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. so it was an operation that we were doing between uh, Mali and uh, all the way over to Mauritania. So there were several countries involved. Okay. Anyway, uh, we got back and there's this COVID thing. Nobody knows what it is yet, but we're paying attention to it. And they said, well, now that you're a doctor and you're a Green Beret, you understand the operating picture of um, bioweapons. Yes, I do. Okay, can you be Governor Abbott's liaison from the Texas Military Department to Governor Abbott's office in the at Lamar Street down in Austin, there's a place where we have an uh, operation center for emergencies, typically hurricanes, things like that on the coast or, or a tornado or something. So the state, uh, which is under Texas Department of Emergency Management, the state had me there as the liaison in this basement with these TV screens around, worst job I ever had because now I'm inside and I'm not enjoying my life and I'm advising the governor's office, which was actually kind of interesting. First red flag, the uh, state health department folks came in and said, we're going to run the show. Okay, so this is the first emergency in the state of Texas run by the health department. The co and they're speaking of COVID as the emergency. COVID emergency, okay. yes. So they run it. In my book, they didn't run it very well. Okay, and, and in the first discussion, when I said, we have hydroxychloroquine, and I noticed in Africa, nobody was getting it. I was giving that to my troops for malaria to prevent. Yep, yep. I've used it for 20 years in my inventory. I was giving ivermectin for uh, certain antiparasitics. We couldn't say those words in that operation center at that table. Ivermectin now, and hydroxychloroquine. No, you could not say them. And I said, well, why not, doctor? And uh, they said, well, because Trump said it. Well, I said, I don't care what Trump said. He's not a doctor. I've used these. They're safe. And I've noticed that the countries that I just came from, there was no COVID. Yeah. These people are taking them as malaria prophylaxis. We don't talk about that. So that ended that story. This is state of Texas people of Texas, saying, we don't down talk about that. Lamar building down in the basement where the operation center is. Okay. We're not talking about that. Okay, so now what do I do? I don't really wanna be here, so how can I help now? I'm, I'm gonna go do something on the road for you guys because I can't continue this you know, day to day uh, being squashed when I'm coming to the table with information. The only person sitting at the table was a bioweapons, not an expert, but an understanding, a working knowledge of. I was the only person at that table. They didn't want to hear me. So when we spent $54 million the first week on PPE for the state of Texas, personal protective equipment, yep. et cetera, uh, to include PCR tests. Well, the PCR tests, the swabs that they stuck back in the brain. Yeah. And, it know, was in the brain, by the way, yeah. It was way back there. It was in the, in the posterior pharynx, which is pretty far back. We've never done that in medicine. I worked 20 years of emergency room. We never, we just took a swab in the nose. Yeah. In the anterior part, the, the forward portion. Now we're doing it this. 
way. But the concern was going to San Antonio to the warehouse when we received this, these first PPE and PCR tests and reading the boxes and going, I can't read that, that's in Chinese. Well, why are we um, taking boxes of Chinese materials when we're worried about a Wuhan virus? Now, we didn't know at the time what I believe now and what I know yep. now, but you remember, we're learning as we go along. So that's a concern to me. China is not an ally. China yeah. is a global <laughs> competitor. They're a number one enemy of America. Go Correct. Ahead. And, and subversiveness and, and things we could talk about since then on the border, specifically with the CCP uh, visitors. But yes. uh, we, can, we can go into that as if we have enough time. Uh, so anyway, fast forward. Uh, I, I complained enough uh, to get booted off of that mission, which was awesome, right? <laughs> because I kept pointing out the truths. Here's the deal. With truth comes cost. There's sure. a cost to every truth. When I was a whistleblower, and we'll get to the specifics of it, there Can't is a wait. cost, yeah. right? There's always a cost. <clears throat> in my ministry, with truth in the Bible, there's a cost, right? There's always a cost. And nowadays, <clears throat> as a Christian, it's a lot harder. So they say, hey, why don't you go take the uh, new mission on the border? It's called Operation Lone Star. We got 600 soldiers. You can go down there and be the uh, task force surgeon. I said, absolutely. I'd love to do that because... That's where I need to be. Take Plus care it's of outside. Yeah. And I'm outside <laughs> doing what I know how to do. Yeah, yeah. I've never worked in the hospital in the military. I was always out with the guys, taking care of them on the X. We call it the X, the bad place. Um, so I, I felt comfortable in that world. Um, I get to the border. Shots are not mandated yet. Some people have taken them. Some haven't. It's okay. Until they start pushing it. And then why did they start pushing it? They being the military, the Department of Defense, because they knew that the mandate was coming. We're going to have to have everybody vaccinated. Well, I went from 600 soldiers to, to 1,000, and as the border increased, we eventually ended up with 10,000 on the border. Excuse me, these are U.S. troops. Who's on the Texas border? Texas National Guard. Sons Texas and National of Guard, Texas. but it's U.S. mandates you're talking about. When the U.S. mandates came to the military and said, you must all take them at this okay. point. Right, this was uh, 2021, uh, probably about, I can't remember the exact date, August, I believe it's August. Yeah, in okay. August. Yeah. So now you got to take them. Well, I'm already doing informed consents, which, which for a doctor means, or for anybody that's been and had a procedure done, the good, the bad, and the ugly of this procedure or medication or whatever you're about to take. Yeah. And do you really need it? Well, I had rooms come in as 600 soldiers grew to about 6,000. Two, 300 at a time would come in. I'd give them a brief and I would say, here's what I'm seeing. And I learned from Dr. Cole and from Dr. McCullough, the early ones that spoke. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Lee Merritt, yeah. uh, Dr. Zelenko. I speak to these guys. I talk, hey, look, I'm in trouble. I'm down here on the border. What do I use? Look, my job in the military was I was a plumber on the battlefield. I stopped bleeding in the worst places in the world, but people went home. So it doesn't require a lot of intelligence. It requires guts. I'm not a, I'm not a virologist, immunologist, or an epidemiologist. I can't run those numbers down on the border. I'm just taking care of people 400 meters from Mexico where the cartel would like to shoot you. I mean, that's just the way our job is down there. And then, and then don't think anything otherwise. So I'm taking care of troops. I do informed consents. Generals start saying through their proxies, through their colonels, they call me and say, hey, you got to quit doing informed consents. Not enough people are taking the shots. All right, that's cool. I'm going to keep doing them. Bye. Yeah. All right. So I'm down in um, McAllen at this time. And they bring down a crew to give shots to my 3,000 soldiers. And I've already, I've already given informed consents. So at this point, 
six people ended up taking the shots. Okay. Six out of how many again? Uh, about 3,000. Six out of 3,000. Because at the end of the day, they said, and we didn't run all 3,000 that day, but over a period of two, three weeks, that's how it ended up. About six. Because I asked my lieutenant, and she said, sir, I think only about six people have taken their shots. I'm like, well, darn, I wish they hadn't either, but it's okay. Because I just told the truth, yeah. and they didn't need it. Based upon the first information, if you're up to age 50, I mean, it's really a 99.9 something percent, you're going to be just fine. Yep. I didn't have my ivermectin and my hydroxychloroquine because it was taken out of my inventory. And I can speak about this now because I'm out of uniform, but I worked two miles from Mexico. They got pharmacies, right? Yeah. So I'm just saying, somehow people got what they needed, yeah. right? And we kept them all safe. Yeah. And we used lesser intrusive means, meaning good hand washing, saline in the nose with betadine, things I had read in articles. Peter McCullough told me about one. I used that. It worked. Okay, it was great. Nobody's getting sick. General calls down and says, hey, you got to stop sending those teams back with nobody vaccinated. So finally, the third time around when I said, "You can," there's nobody wants a shot. Pack it back up. Six-hour drive to uh, McAllen to uh, Austin. Uh, they were mad because the whole team comes down, sets up. But here's the beauty of this. General shows up on the border. He's doing his little... Uh, a U.S. general? Two-star. Uh, okay. The division commander. Okay. And he's got a one-star behind him and a colonel who I love to death. He was on my side. And uh, the one-star, he's wishy-washy. Good guy, though. Um, I knew them all. And, uh, and the two-star was always good to me prior to this. You have to imagine... You got a doctor, and I'm not, this is not an ego thing, but there are only five at the time special forces doctors that were qualified as Green Berets. I was the first one. So now you got this kind of golden child of medicine down here you can't really argue with. I've done austere medicine for a long time. Yeah. But he's telling you, no, he's not going to give the shots. So he comes in personally and says, look, doc, do me a favor. You got to stop the informed consents. I said, but I can't. It's a regulation, number one. They're emergency use authorization. I don't know what's in them. People are getting sick when they do take them in other places. I'm not going to do that here. Not with my name on it. I'm not going to do that. And he says, it's not about the science. It's about the policy. And Wowie. Whoa, sir. And he goes, quit doing the, quit doing the informed consents or find somebody that will, will just talk them into it. I said, sir, I can't do that. That's an unlawful order. Now, when you're a lieutenant colonel, and you tell a general with witnesses that that's an unlawful order. That's a moment of truth that sure. comes with a cost because he left the room, said a few choice words, um, knew I was going to be looking for a new job. It's okay. Because if you stand in the gap and you draw fire for your troops, I've done it in combat. You draw on fire in this sense that woke them up because what happened to doc? Well, he's disappeared. He got fired. What happened to him? What did he do? He told the truth. Yep. It's emboldening. It's, it's courage is uh, physical courage is hard. Moral courage is harder every time, especially when you have a career, you got to, <laughs> you don't want to lose your pension. Sure. All these things. So the general comes along. You just, what you just recounted, you just wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. And so they removed politely. you. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I did. I politely, I told him, sir. Oh, yeah, politely, but yeah. You're, you're just saying can't do that. Right. Oh, quickly, this, this um, informed consent that you were providing was just, it was a basic speech that said that you have the right to understand. I informed turned it into, means, <laughs> sorry? Yes, I turned it into a 90-page PowerPoint. 
It's on my website. And all you're doing is telling them, here's the story. And so you understand before you make a choice to get this vaccine or not. So you're telling them truth, and they're saying, stop telling them the truth because they, they won't listen to us then. That's, yeah. The best part about that is I didn't know 50% of what I was putting on there was absolutely that I was sure that this was a bioweapon. I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know. But I'm stepping out a little bit and saying, I think this is. So is this the, so I want to get from there to how you end up being a DOD um, mm -hmm. whistleblower. Was how, how that, that path happened? Yeah. So on the border, when I got fired uh, from my job, not out of the military, fired from my job, brought back to Austin to uh, arrange pencils at that point. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, you know, we're yeah. going to put you doing uh, periodic health assessments. And I just went ahead and put in my retirement and just said, I'm going to retire. And at that point, Dr. Teresa Long had got a hold of me out of Fort Rucker, Alabama. She is the Esther in this fight. She is the Joan of Arc in this fight. She was the first one to call me and say, hey, are you looking at the DMED system, Defense Medical Epidemiology Database? Are you looking at that? And I said, Teresa, I'm on the border without a computer. I'm taking care of guys on every third night on the water. No, I haven't seen it. Get to Austin, get on your computer, look at it. I took a trip, went up to Austin, got on the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database, 1,100% rise in neurologic dis dysfunctions, six months after the military started taking them. Okay, I assume this data you could access, because you couldn't if you weren't in the military. The civilian Correct. could it not access. Correct, it was open to the providers in the military. Okay, so 1,100% increase in... Oh, Just neurologic damage alone. Okay. Much less cardiac, stillbirths, all these other things. Yeah. yeah. I, Teresa Long, I remember reading a lengthy, not reading the whole piece, but speaking on my t show about a piece that she had written and was featuring her because she was trying to expose the, the um, danger to pilots and just saying we shouldn't have pilots who are harmed by, who are compromised by the vaccines. And she was being told by the military, stop doing this. Correct. You know, yeah. You know. So. Senator Johnson said, come to us, Teresa Long, Sam Sigloff, uh, Mark Bashaw, and myself, four whistleblowers out of the whole DOD. Why were there only four? I don't know, but that's okay. It's a good question. There's more now. There's more now, and you need that, you need that first person through the wire. All right. So then Johnson says, we're going to give your names on C-SPAN. Huh. So I'm a Green Beret who has nothing on the Internet. Zero. No one even, I don't even, I mean, emails, yes. But no Facebook, no nothing, zero. Now I'm going to be, my name is going to be known. So... At that point, I had to make a decision. I'm going to go public with this. And the first show I went on was Alex Jones. Because if you're going to go, you go big or go home. Now, Alex is a bit wild. I got it. Uh, yeah. And he's like, get away here. Come here. Let me tell you this. So we had a great time. But I gave him the information that I needed to give him. Now I'm still in uniform. And I took a spanking for that. And, it, and it's going to happen. But we had to start telling the truth. But from that, Senator Johnson, Wisconsin <clears throat> Senator, who revealed that, 24, 48 hours later, that defense system on medical numbers based on the uh, ICD-10 codes, your international code for diagnosis, those, that system shut down for 48 hours. Meaning data was made unavailable. Is that what it you're saying? It was made unavailable after Senator Johnson spoke about it to the camera and said, DOD, you are completely responsible for this data. Yeah. Don't let anything happen to it. Okay. Did Senator Johnson become aware of you because you were on Alex Jones? Is that how he no. knew? It you, was because Thomas Renz, uh, we had already been talking to Thomas okay. Renz. Yeah, okay. Todd Thomas Renz, huge hero in this too. Right, and yeah. I just saw him in Houston last weekend. Great guy. He's still getting after it. Thomas oh, yeah, is doing he's, good. Yeah. So uh, he, he spoke our names. Trace actually spoke there at that conference and uh, in, in the uh, roundtable discussion. 
This is in Washington, in Senator Washington Johnson. In Washington, Senator okay. Johnson, correct. Uh, they, it was called a second opinion or something like that. It was a great, yeah. Yes, it was, it, was, it was live streamed. It's still, you should be able to find it unless yeah, it's you been can. Yeah. squashed. But uh, yeah, then uh, Matt Staver from Liberty Council called yeah. us and said, we need some witnesses, uh, fact witnesses to speak in Tampa, Judge Meriday's court case, Seals versus Lloyd Austin. Some Seals had, because Liberty Council stays on the more the uh, you know Christian or uh, religious waiver type stuff. Yeah, right, right, right. So they're supporting these seals who say, we don't want to take this. We have a, a, a religious belief that we don't want to take it. Absolutely. You have a lot of beliefs. Safety, it's not safe, not effective, but they went with that. So they needed somebody to speak. So Teresa Long and myself and some other folks went out there. But because we were both still in uniform, and I was getting out at that time, but not fully out yet. Um, but she was, you know, high profile, Fort Rucker, senior flight surgeon, uh, aerospace surgeon as well. That's a little different than me. I was just a flight surgeon. That's like, you know, rookie level stuff. She's a senior person. And they called her while we were in the room with Matt Staver and the, the lawyers prepping for the case the next morning. On speakerphone, her commander says, Teresa, are you by yourself right now? No, I'm in the room with the lawyers from Liberty Council. Leave the room. <laughs> okay. She leaves the room. He said, make sure there's no lawyers. He says this. You are, I'm ordering you, you will not testify tomorrow. Now, she's a whistleblower. She has a federal subpoena. That's a tampering with a witness as far as I'm concerned. And there's a whistleblower act mm -hmm. that should mm -hmm. protect her. Right. Okay. This is a very ballsy move on their part to do this, but they did it anyway. She gets on the stand the next day and says, I'm sorry, Your Honor, I cannot testify to that. I've been ordered not to testify. Who told you that? And then her two general and her uh, senior ranking colonel these were the two, and she listed their names. Nothing's happened to them. Okay, I don't know why, but uh, she did not testify. I was able to testify her information on the DMAT. We, we got it. We got it entered into court record. Okay, this litigation. I did want to address this a bit. Is first of all, is Teresa Long still in the military? She is. She's amazing. Uh, I mean, she's been. I, as I mentioned, I don't know how long ago that was. She began. She's a rock star. Yeah, pointing out data, just saying the number of uh, pilots who've been harmed by the vaccine and then they had to change the standards for your uh, capacity to fly, mm -hmm. that you were safe to fly to comply with the damage having been done by the vaccines. Oh, they're still okay. But back to this. So this is a piece of litigation representing uh, First Liberty, representing Navy SEALs, basically trying to say we ought to get to stay in the military without being forced to get the vaccine. Right. Okay. And this, so ballpark, when is this? Is this 2022? 2022, yes, and uh, January, I believe, somewhere in there. And it had gone so long that even after the NDAA, the last NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, that I went and lobbied on Capitol Hill to try to get our people to listen. Uh, we need to pull this off the military. It's not safe. Uh, we got that. Then the court comes back and says, well, it's a moot point at this point because now the mandate's been lifted. However, you still have people that have been held from their jobs, that have been um, didn't make extra rank they, with their normal times. So there's some back pay and things involved with that. None of that has been uh, has been uh, rectified. So there's still a fight going on. Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I want I do want to talk about the other amazing adventures in your life, but on this topic and really for American society. Mm -hmm. I mean, early on, I, even, I can tell you in 2020, mm -hmm. even before the vaccines were ready, 
there were doctors who came on my show, several doctors saying, you know, ivermectin, no, it was uh, hydroxychloroquine was the first one. It's a great prophylactic. And, if, and you know, even with early symptoms, it'll clear, you know, that's what you should do with COVID. And they uh, had their medical licenses threatened. Oh, yeah. They had hearings before the state medical board. And, uh, and then as things progressed, we had a doctor on my show who was talking about inhaled budesonide to help mm -hmm. with your, if you, to, if you were struggling breathing, because it was, a, it was, and, and his, What's his name, uh, Dr. Richard Bartlett. Yes. Okay. I met him in, down in, uh, Permian Basin. Great guy. Yeah. Right. He is a great guy. Yeah. yeah. He actually kind of broke that story in my show because he was saying, we don't need to be so panicked. Even when you get to the right. point with this, if you do have COVID right. and you're struggling to breathe, that this is like, so my point is that your doctors coming along early on and in the naive mindset of myself and many people, most people think that the military and as one entity, as well as just doctors in general, what they really should want is truth. The military should want to know. And then as the evidence became available more and more, the mm -hmm. danger from the vaccines, uh, the, the, the myocarditis, right. the, the many things developing because of vaccines, the military should have as its primary goal, the safety and health of, their, uh, of all the military members and not complying with some expectation. So how do you, I mean, this is perhaps an unfair question, but how do you explain that? How does the military stay in the mindset you're going to take this when evidence is available, the other things work, yep. and when the, the evidence was beginning to become wide, widely known that the, the vaccines were hurting people? Beautiful question. And it, it actually, now that I've got a little time behind me watching this, the, the generals that were brought in during the Obama administration to put in charge, put up high. I got it. I've worked under presidents, the Democrat, Republican, got it. Take, I would take a bullet for any of them. That's my job. And I was apolitical. But when you saw these woke generals being put to the top, they make the decisions, they make the calls on administrative things. Unfortunately, the, the Department of Defense is run from the Pentagon, which is an administrative place. Yeah. We have these combatant commanders out there. Okay, combatant commanders, there's different commands, Northcom, Southcom, UCOM, Europe, you know, Asia. Those commanders are doing the best they can so that we can do war fighting, so that we can close with and destroy the enemy. That's our job. All the other stuff is superfluous. It, it's not required for us to do our job to include this leaning towards um, uh, so many things that just don't make sense. Doesn't make, like my grandpa, I should say, a lick of sense. Yep. Right. Okay. So now we've got that. How's this happening? Because of that structure that was put in place during that time. Because now these next group of generals going up <clears throat> were being picked by those. Just, right. It's a good old boy club. It, that's just how it is. You know, it's amazing. People, many people have observed that during the Obama administration, he very much cleaned out higher ranks of military, forced retirements of people who are, in my view, patriots and conservatives. Mm -hmm. He brought the woke generals in. They rise up. Is actually the same thing that occurred in academia. Once you filled academia with very left-wing leaning professors who taught history and, and uh, political science and economics and they're left-leaning in their thinking, that's the mindset that then hires the next round of professors. And, and so they, they became self-selecting and self-perpetuating. And you're saying it's the same thing in the military. They're I'm gonna let you in on some insider information. You go. You're gonna like this. What rank is it? And I'm. It's a rhetorical question because I know the answer to it, but it, what rank is it where this all of a sudden switches over to this woke craziness? Not one the clue. rank at which officers become political, and that is typically around the 06 or colonel level for the Army, 
captain level for the Navy, Air Force, Army, you know, colonel. So we, I was an 05, a lieutenant colonel. And we found this out as we were now, you know, in the background, still talking to each other. And we call it the 05 Mafia. We're speaking in the backside here on all these chats. Oh, yeah. And we are talking to each other going, what happens to these guys? What happens there? That's a political rank. Because at this point, I've got to think, I have a potential to become a colonel. I could get a job for Raytheon. Or I could get a job for AstraZeneca now because the shots are so important to the war fighting effort. Um, uh. Joke. Uh, so, <laughs> I, right? I rolled my eyes, but the camera You're, wasn't on me. Yeah, ahead, so yeah. I had to make sure I said that. So, because we're not focusing on our job. Yeah. Which is war fighting. Can you do this? Look, 1983 when I came in, whatever your, um, whatever your persuasion was, it didn't matter. Can you pick up my body off the battlefield and get me off of it? Can you close with the enemy and do that? I don't care what happens at home. I don't care what color your hair is. Stay within the regs, do your job, and let's all get home. That's what we do. But when it reaches this level of, and, and the 05 level, you're still in touch with your troops. Yep. We still okay. look at them every day and talk to them. Yep they lose track when they get to that rank. So that's the insider. And that's still going on today. But now this group that's out there, these heroes who are now whistleblowers, and now behind the scenes are pushing out truths, they're staying in. Why? Because we got to keep them for the next generation. My son just joined the military. He's going to be a Green Beret. I got to make sure that these guys, these O5s, they become the generals of the future. That's a great, great mission. Yes. I mean, it is a mission to get that them into the high, higher ranks. Absolutely. Okay. You know, I mentioned when I started the show that we had just returned from an amazing tour in Europe. And among the things that we did, I mean, we there was a lot of conversation about how, uh, by this historian leading the, the group, about how the thought of the German people was manipulated mm -hmm. and really just kind of mesmerized, hypnotized. And... Um, and I do see some analogies to today in America, but I want to talk specifically about what happened at Dachau and how, you know, they did, they, it isn't the same thing as the COVID vaccines, but mm -hmm. it's getting to the ballparks. So in Dachau, Dachau there was a museum that displayed essentially what um, they did to these people who, you know, had done nothing wrong, rounded up mostly Jews, although other people were um, outspoken, they got out of line some way, and the Nazis locked them all up in Dachau. It was horrible conditions. I mean, just unspeakably horrific. But one thing they did were medical experiments, and they they were not. I mean, they were just. They actually had pictures of what had happened. They'd mm -hmm. taken pictures and, we, and saved them so you could see them in the display. And so people after the war, but the uh, among the many reasons that the Germans were prosecuted at Nuremberg was these medical trials. These, mm -hmm. and you can't even call them medical trials. That just elevates them to some false sense of legitimacy. They were just torture chambers right. that they did to people. And, you know, you, I know people, I hear people say, well, we don't need a second Nuremberg because, you know, what the pharmaceutical companies in America knew about the content of the vaccines, the danger of the vaccines, and then pushed by some elements in the American government, it became mm -hmm. required, and, and in the case of some of the military, mandatory and for the American society, very much pushed. Are we anywhere close to the level of culpability, in your view, for America to say that people who pushed the content of the COVID vaccines, especially as they became aware of the side effects, the deaths, the myocarditis, the, the sudden, you know, sudden died stats, are we anywhere near that kind of culpability? We are in a fifth generation warfare and in fifth generation warfare, that's a war for the mind. Yep. Okay. Now we got to add principalities, rules of darkness and, and all those things that come in scripturally as well. 
Because if you don't understand the two and how they work together, we will repeat all of that. Because history, albeit beautiful, to have is ugly in many ways. And that's one of those times. It's, uh, if we read Solzhenitsyn and we see what happened with the Gulag archipelagos and things like that, we see what happened is despair because the control of the information that came to the people and said, you're an enemy of the party. What's happening now, our First Amendment isn't a fight to protect us from the tyrants that are trying to push. We saw, I saw a beautiful, we talked about on the way here with our, with our mutual friends, uh, Mayorkas on the stand being questioned about the First Amendment. And he just grins and he says, you know, I've, I've stood 50 meters from that guy out on the border and watched him lie to the American, American public about 17,000 Haitians that were sitting on a bridge behind me saying they were all gonna go to Haiti. They didn't go to Haiti. They went to a US Air Force base and got moved around the country. That's yeah. where the truth is. So this, this control of the media, this fifth generation thing, so are we any closer? Yes, because of the second tier, your media, okay, which is probably third to second tier media, is pumping in underneath the mainstream and they can't stand it. So now there are new rules. There are exactly, and actually it, it ties to something else that right. I saw as analogous to the way that as the Third Reich came to power, and that was they control what people could say, what they could think, what they mm -hmm. could talk about, and it caused people to freeze, to freeze and say, well, even if I kind of think it's bad what they're doing, I'm not going to say anything. So back to where we are today, mm -hmm. you know, there was the effort by the um, Biden administration, the you know Department of Homeland right. Security. Yeah to essentially make sure the American people mm -hmm. didn't understand the truth about the COVID vaccines, didn't understand the truth about the Biden laptop, but I mean, it was a controlled information mm -hmm. uh, mentality. And they used, you know, the Twitter files showed us what happened there. They basically were saying, you're not gonna have Twitter conversation about the danger of the vaccines right. or about the Biden laptop. And I do, you know, I, I, I'm very careful to not make, um, unjustified or, or radical comparisons that, mm -hmm. that aren't that but I do I see these trends not just because the government is doing these things but because there seems to be compliance by the American people they, they just they don't want to challenge it they don't and, and and those in government and those in the media support them and we have to tell people like straight up America look there's such a thing as a beta test and then in, in information operations and psyops is what the military calls it there are beta tests we test to see how well does this work? Put masks on people and say, you need one mask. No, two masks. No, no mask. Okay, well, what is it? Well, as we continue to take away and give, we're not in uh, cognitive dissonance anymore. That's, that's minimizing something that you smoke two packs, now you just smoke one. Okay, well, I only smoke one. You're minimizing the damage. We're now at Stockholm Syndrome. And in Stockholm Syndrome, when, when I go in and do a hostage rescue on somebody, if they've been there long enough, they don't want you to cut the chains because these people have kept them alive. And that's where we're at. The masses will typically go there. It, it's just a fact because they don't have enough information. They're scared. It's fear that controls them. When we get beyond fear, because we don't live in a spirit of fear, and we have Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says we can have you know, understanding that transcends everything else about how not to be afraid, then we have little victories. And in Seer, Survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. When I was a prisoner of war, in training, albeit miserable for three weeks, I had to learn how to return with honor. And that's something that we're taught through little victories because it's all about the little victory, the little things that you can do. And as a, as, as a whole, the little victories turn into huge victories. People say, well, what can I do? Then support somebody that's doing it and get out there. 
speak, hold a sign, do something, step up like you're doing. You're stepping into the political arena. God bless you. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I have to say, I, I feel so drawn and called to this. I just, it doesn't even, yeah. I mean, to me, it, it's, I can't imagine not having the opportunity to speak up. But I do want to talk about, you're, you're getting to the heart of what I wanted to talk about, and mm -hmm. there's probably more things we got to try to hit too, but in America, people learned during COVID, they watched <clears throat> the fear, and people who were a little bit more astute, and maybe you spent two weeks when it first came around saying, okay, I guess this is a big thing, pandemic, I guess I'll stay home. But pretty quickly, really, uh, the more spiritually minded people began to question. And they said, this doesn't seem right. And in America, where, we, where I, I now, I, I don't want America to fall into, I mean, there's great concern, actual civil war in America, I don't want that. No. But people watch what the government's doing and they watch, they, they still think, I mean, who would have thought in America they would come up with the, government, the uh, D disinformation board, the government, whatever it was called, the government disinformation board that the DHS had that basically said, we're gonna punish people putting out disinformation. So you regulate what you can say, regulate what you say on Twitter, regulate what you understand about the efficacy of the vaccines, the danger of the vaccines. And it's so contrary to what America is and I think people, I know, I know people feel so frustrated. Find me an avenue to fight this. How do I, mean, they say, okay, I'm gonna support the next candidate for Congress, or I'm gonna support this guy for Senate, or I'm gonna push for this presidential yeah. candidate. But there's a society-wide awakening that's bigger than just politics that has to happen. It's a refreshing of the idea of freedom that has been subtly suppressed. Right, and the idea of freedom, to me, in my opinion, comes from the founders, we're not a theocracy. We never have been a theocracy, but our principles were based upon biblical principles. They were based upon Christian ideals. Now, that means that every one of them know. I think 25% were not Christians. Okay, rough estimate. It didn't matter, the specifics, the ideals, the ideals that came. And when you have something that now is trying to take away those ideals that are written, codified in a constitution, then you're usurping the constitution that we protect. Enemies foreign and domestic. We the military. We, anybody the in oath that takes an oath. Okay. From your city council all the way up to the president of the United States are required an oath. Something recently we fell upon after some series of FOIAs that went out. The Biden administration does not have one oath of office that has been completely correct. Either not verified, not co-witnessed. By FOIA, we've proven this. Yeah. So when you don't have to protect something that you haven't sworn an oath to, that tells you that there is very little concern to hold, uphold that constitution, which was based upon those principles. And there is a discernment amongst those remnant people that say, hey, wait a minute, we're, we're not seeing the same thing. So what is it that we can do? Second uh, Corinthians uh, seven fourteen. if my people turn to me, then I will heal their land. What does 13 say? 13 says, uh, if I stop the rain, if I allow the locusts to eat their food, not paraphrasing, and if I let a plague upon their land, their people, well, what have we just gone through? Geoengineering, all this crazy stuff, used to be conspiracy that might be true. So we look at those things and say, that's where I'm gonna focus on, but still operate in this world, which is legislation and all that kind of stuff. It Grassroots. is, and actually, you know, it's a very interesting thing for a person with your experience, your military experience and your medical experience and battlefield and, mm -hmm. um, you know, what you're turning to at this point in your life, your next hat you put on is a very open commitment to the ministry. And you used, uh, you used an expression a moment ago, the remnant, which I do know what that is, but talk about that a little bit, what that is. So I went to, 
an event on the East Coast with a uh, pastor named John Stagman. Uh, Donica Patrick was there. Uh, Donica Hudson, sorry. Donica Hudson. Um, some other folks from Texas went out, the AGs, the Banners for Freedom folks. And they were out there, um, and it's called the 1607 Recovenanting of the mm -hmm. Nation Back to God. The, the landing before Jamestown, we don't learn a lot about this history, but they actually put a cross in the ground and dedicated it in a marriage ceremony, so to speak, to, to God, to Christ. Okay, when they landed, 1607. That was the first time. And then since then, uh, I've just been involved with some people who... I'm like, it's like this remnant. And I sang this and other people are saying the same thing. So I created the Remnant A-Team, okay? The Remnant A-Team. A-Team. A-Team is, is taken from the Green Berets. They're uh, alpha teams. It's the operational element that does the work, right? The B-Team is the support team. The A-Team does the work. 12 guys go out, live in the hinterlands for months on end and do a hard job and free the oppressed because our motto on our on our unit crest says Dio Presso Liber, Latin for to free the oppressed. We believe that. Okay, we believe it. We take it serious. When I go down range and, and those little kids and you look at them or I see some little kids coming across the border that look like they're being trafficked, I want to free them from that oppression, whatever that oppression may be. And we believe in that. That's why my Remnant A team, we're helping out on the border, uh, humanitarian mission. There's You're currently doing this, helping out on the border. It. Okay. That's why I'm so tan. I'm spending a lot of time in the sun. Uh, but it, it is, uh, it's a labor of love, and it's not just me. It, it, there are so many more out there that are doing this, that they're staying in the shadows, and, and that's where we want to be because our love is going to be exhibited there because the truest virtue of a soldier, I've learned in 39 years, is love. It's not hate. It's love. For those that are with you, those behind you, and anybody that gets in your way, I pity them, but I don't go by hate anymore. You know, and now we're not doing kinetic operations. This is a purely humanitarian thing, but it's also to assist law enforcement. I also go to communities. I was just out here, not too far away, about 20 miles away, talking to a group there, two, 300 people at a time. I will speak to these groups and say, how do we get some synergy between you and local law enforcement? Yep. Neighborhood watch programs, yes, but on steroids. Like how do we protect this neighborhood? How do we protect each other? How do we take care of the little lady down the road who has a bad wiring system and this happened this past winter down here in Austin in Hayes County. Ice storm came in, that group went to work, moving generators, helping people out, bringing food, picking people up out of, I mean, that's what this is about. And that's how it works. Love that. Dr. Pete Chambers, I think I mentioned to you that on our Thursday shows, we have the uh, potential for audience members to ask questions and oh. there is a microphone over there. And while you're all thinking, if you have a question and we ask you to raise your hand and speak in the microphone, I do want to hit uh, something else or, or just make a comment about what you're saying. You know, for many people, um, I think what people thought in life, in America, things are pretty good. You know, we have constitutionally guaranteed freedom. We have a Declaration of Independence. We had more or less an understanding America's unique nation in world history. It is a nation committed to the freedom of the individual and honoring the Bill of Rights. And, and it was rooted in Judeo-Christian values, uh, right. whether the founders were 100% precisely Christian, they were, they were rooted in those values and they were woven into what we think America is. And people felt kind of safe in that. And I think there's a segment that wanted to do politics a lot and run for office and, and make laws. And that's great. You have to have structure or else you have chaos. 
But for many people, you thought the politicians are all kind of, they're going to, everything's going to be okay. And they're going to make, you know, more or less keep us safe and more or less not do anything really bad. So, you know, I don't want the, many people stay out of politics thinking pretty much the politicians are, you know, will take care of things. I think in the last, and I don't know how to cut the line, but in the last, I don't know, 10, 20, maybe a few more years than that, more Americans are waking up to the idea, number one, the Constitution, would they say, we the people, we are the sovereign. We are the ones, not the government. We are the sovereign. We the people are. And you have to take, whether you want to get involved in campaigns or not, or in government, you've got to decide, you're part of saving this country. You're part of saving children at the border. You're part of saving communities from all sorts of problems. It just is odd because as the government to me has become more tyrannical and more repressive right. and more dangerous, the answer of citizens has been, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to find my peace, carve up my place and do more is what you're doing. Beautiful. It's sovereignty. That is sovereignty. That's living. Yes. That is living. And if we look at 1850 France, and there's a guy named Bastiat, Frederic Bastiat. Yeah. And if you ever read the law, right? Yeah. The best book I've ever read on this. He talks about the same theme throughout which is legalized plunder. This is like the main theme. This is what happens to any society that ever down, travels down the road of socialism, legal plunder. So they might tell you, hey, this is good. And here's your litmus test. Is it taking away from somebody that's working hard and giving it to somebody that's not? Okay, now I got it. There, there's charity. I do charity all the time. We got it. But if, it, if a system or law is doing that, that's legal plunder. And we got to be careful with that. Yeah, Frederic Bastiat, look it up. Okay, okay. So now we have um, potential for, I, I actually, someone gave me that book. I've forgotten where I spoke someplace and someone mailed me that as a gift. It was very nice. Oh, it was really nice. Anyway, so do we have any questions? I know we covered a wide range of things. So, okay, there you go. And yeah, speak right into the microphone if you would so the happy audience can Okay, hear. first, thank you so much for your courage. I, it's to me a little stunning how few people do have your, your courage. You mentioned, and I just wanted a couple of things. One, I just came from a meeting of uh, Cowboy Church in Corsicana that just started the yeah. bringing America back to God and truly feel we are in just an evil spiritual warfare battle. Yes, ma'am. Technical question. I, I've heard this that they don't have their oaths, you know, assigned. Do they not do it orally, and does that count? That's just a technical question. Right. Another one for so you. the way that it works is it has to be notarized, and it has to be put on file. That is the law. Okay. Right? So the, that technical answer is right there. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. And then the other thing, you mentioned that you had re-enlisted or went out after 9-11, and, you know, that affected all Americans pretty much, to me, right. just like the pandemic did, too. Right. Um, I have come to feel and feel pretty confident in it that we do not have the true story behind 9-11. I just wondered how you, you talked about being in the fifth generation warfare. I think yeah. this has gone on a long time. You went over to Afghanistan, Iraq, there 17 years. I would say question any war that you've ever seen yep. and do a little homework on it to see what was the, the intent, the commander's intent and then question that. So I would say, personally, about Afghanistan specifically, that we spent too much time there. Did we have to go after some bad guys? Yes, I believe that. Now, I can't go into details where I thought the building fell or whatnot because I don't know. I only give firsthand information when I give stuff. That's why a former president said, you're kind of like the Paul Revere of the modern generation. That's my job. 
is to give you what I know is coming around the corner. So, but question it. Always question it. That's our job. As we, we pay their bills and we gain sovereignty by questioning it. And we don't worry about this, the First Amendment because it is there for us. And, you know, they are the families, the architects, engineers, they have been questioning for 20 years. Yep. They are really putting out their last from, uh, they just want a grand jury to look at right. it, well, at the information, because yeah. I truly think it's so horrible. And why can we not get that? I guess like a second no, with the JFK. Thank a, you. That was good. Thank you. Is there another question? Anybody? We have three minutes. Here we go. Oh, this guy's going to give me a hard question. This one of our troublemakers in the audience. I thought I'd give you I thought I'd give you an opportunity to talk about your mission along the border in your current state since right. I don't think you talked about it much in your interview. Right. So we 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 kind of gave the overview but uh, what what specifically um it is morphed. It, it truly has morphed. It started out as a humanitarian mission just looking at people coming across. So I, you know, I I dinged my head up pretty good. I'll probably show y'all here. Ran oh. into a mesquite <laughs> tree, right? So when you're when you're riding and you hit a mesquite tree, it hurts your head. Um so that happens, but uh, there, there are people that cut across. There's nothing humanitarian about a mother and a child walking through the big bend trying to get somewhere for freedom, to be used as a pawn, so to speak. And I, I think that's what's happened to many of them. I love those people. Um, I took care of them. You know, my, my name is Pete, but down there I'm Pedro, Dr. Pedro. And uh, my dog's name is Joe, and he's Dr. Ho or, or Joe Jose Pepe. So, but, but. When you look at those little eyes of those little little children coming across, and you know that they're being used as pawns, but they, if, and they're lucky because they made it to you. But when you find bodies floating in the river, or you find them out in the hinterlands just dying of heat exhaustion and whatnot, that was our original intent, was to go out and to actually make a difference with that. Because we've worked in bad places, we can help folks like that. But then as the, the local law enforcement is looking at us saying, but could you help me with this? Absolutely. And then I was talking to community groups, and that's where we really got into the uh, marrying up as neighborhood watch programs with sheriffs. You know, the state of Texas, the sheriff has more power than the president of the United States. I do. It's a beautiful thing. Right? It's called yeah. the Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark Trahala, great book. Real small primer. Read that because it talks about, back to John Knox, 1500s uh, Scotland, about how... Uh, you interpose. And so when the sheriff can interpose based upon a good relationship with their neighbors, with his, his constituents, it's a lot better. And he's not going to enforce the federal laws of, hey, let's go pick up grandma because she was standing on the lawn on January 6th, because that's happened too. Oh, but right. they will interpose when they have a better relationship. So all that stuff is a good Greenberry knows. It's about networking. Um, networking is what makes it happen. And uh, you know that as well. He's a networker, my friend that asked the question. All right. You know, we could have, yeah, we could have spent much more time on what you do currently on the border. Um, yeah, as I said when I introduced you, you just have like too many hats, or not too many, many hats, and I love them all. Um, we are pretty much out of time, but if people are interested in learning more about you and supporting you, it's drpetechambers.com. drpetechambers.com, D-R-P-E-T-E, Chambers with an S. Uh, but use that website as a repository for information because that's where I share. It starts with the informed consent brief, the original one I did, which now is almost all true, but I put it out mm -hmm. so people could hold my feet to the fire and say, that's what you were saying? You dang skippy. So that's, that's what that's for us. So we can share. There's yeah. a lot of things on there. 
Well, I want to thank you for all you do, too. And thank you for, I know you have a very busy schedule. People love having you on their show. So thank you for taking time to come in today. Thank you for being here. Thank you, ma'am. So I appreciate that. And very quickly, for our online audience, I will quickly tell you that we are doing Thursday shows uh, going forward. We're back from our wonderful trip to, uh, throughout Europe. Um, but the next in-studio audience show is not until September 7th. We have our my congressman, it's actually my U.S. congressman now, Keith Self, uh, coming in on September 7th. But during August, we're doing shows remotely. I want to encourage you to tune in next week on August 3rd. Sam Faddis, who is an amazing former long-term CIA uh, you know, guy who just has done everything you can think of. And now he writes at, at AND Magazine. He is an extraordinary thinker. He spoke at our summit last year and he was among the people, uh, among these speakers, people said, I, you know, I, he could have talked all day. I would have loved him. So it's Sam Faddis, Patrick Byrne, uh, who is, uh, was the founder and the CEO of Overstock, heavily involved at the end of the Trump administration, the whole effort to urge him to seize the voting machines. He's been extraordinarily outspoken related to election fraud, Patrick Byrne. Uh, and then Dr. Marion Grossman, who is a New York City psychiatrist, who is among the people willing to say there's absolutely nothing real about transgender or gender ideology. Gender ideology is a fiction. It's an idea someone thought up. She's got a new book out. She's trying to explain with compassion and concern that you're not really helping people by indulging in something that's not real. And so she's, of course, um, frequently criticized. Uh, she's very brave. So she'll be here in August, too. We're not here, but she'll be on the show in August. So everyone who's listening, thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. Our show is America Can We Talk. It's online at americacanwetalk.org. I do this show. Monday through Thursday, starting again in the fall, Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear